today we have Laura McCann. Laura is a serial entrepreneur who has spent her career in the fashion industry from designing to being a buyer to software and consulting. After experiencing major health issues from stressful years in the fashion industry, she discovered spirituality and started to heal her body through her mind, body, and spirit, which led her to starting Adore Therapy, which is a natural essential oil-based fragrance company that creates chakra blends and a variety of aromatherapy healing body oils and sprays. So let's get into her journey and how she has transformed her life as a founder. Yay, today we have Laura McCann on um, our show and super excited to have you here. I can't wait to unfold her journey. She has lots of experience being a founder and CEO in multiple industries. So super excited to have you here, Laura. Can't wait for you to share your story. So thank you for taking time to be with us. Brooke, it's a pleasure to be here. And likewise, I'm excited to chat about all the things that we seem to all be interested in, entrepreneurship, being a woman, being a founder, all of it. I love it. Can't wait. Yeah. Super cool. Okay. So we're going to start in how I always start with how you became a founder but it looks like you were a knit designer first. What's a knit designer? <laughs> I started out my, yeah. So I, my first job was actually, I was a child actress. So I wouldn't call it really? being an entrepreneur, but I started working when I was seven years old and I had a, a little bit of a career. And so I think that formed a lot of what I've done. And I guess that sense of being a performer really helps with entrepreneurship because there's so much of you that is about being out there and kind of, talking the talk and using yourself kind of as an instrument. But um, I was a fashion designer. That's the career I ended up studying in college. And I worked in New York City in the fashion industry um, in the 80s and 90s. I went to school with people like Marc Jacobs and Michael Kors. So they they hit it big. I didn't go to 7th really? Avenue. I went to Broadway, <laughs> otherwise called the Schmata <laughs> business. So I was always more interested <laughs> in clothes that people could afford than clothes that uh, you couldn't. And so that was sort of my yeah. first career, um, which led me to my first business, which was being a, a manufacturer of clothing for a lot of the big vertical retail brands that um, many of them aren't around anymore, but they were really big when I was uh, starting out in the fashion industry. Yeah. Okay. So is that where you started and you were the founder of Fashion Express? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you okay. know, along the way, um, I met different people. My job was always creating product and um, it was sort of like uh, Mickey Rourke and Judy Garland, you know, putting on a show. I had a partner when I was in my uh, sort of mid-20s who was a sales guy and we were like, let's put on the show. And so we started a business. Neither one of us had been entrepreneurs before didn't know anything about managing people even at that point. I really hadn't done it. And it was sort of like baptism by fire. 
Uh, but interested. <laughs> I feel yeah. like every founder's Yeah, though. and it was like we we did it, and we had a model. We worked for a company, and we were doing something similar. We left because, of course, we had the typical narcissistic, crazy boss who was doing it the wrong way. And so we felt like if we could we could do it, we could do it the right way, where you're actually like a human being, and maybe you can be as successful without being a crazy person. So we did it and we were very successful at it. So the interesting thing in my career is I was sort of successful early on without having a lot of the, um, the kinds of businesses that people have now, right? So we didn't raise money. We didn't have a pitch deck. We didn't go and talk to VCs. We did the work. We grew little by little. We went from three of us to 50 of us, you know, and we had a big business and it was super fun and super cool. And it was hard to do it ever big again like that because I had to unlearn all the things during that first 10 years that were really painful and really hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you built this, would you say it was a product development fashion company? Yeah. We called it a global sourcing agency. I I had the best job in the world. We'd go to Europe, we'd shop, spend a ton of money buying amazing clothes and then we would bring them back to the U.S. and we would redesign them or knock them off in quotation marks at price points for all the big retailers, everybody from a Victoria's Secret or an Express or a New York & Co. or Lane Bryant or Cato. So mm. um, in those days, a lot of these companies uh, outsourced design and they outsourced all the manufacturing. And we would send the designs to the factories get the prices and bring, you know, millions of leggings and t-shirts and tunics and sweaters in under other people's labels. So what was interesting about it is you were a designer, but there was nothing precious about it. You were doing fast fashion. You were doing it for seven or eight big brands. So it was like thinking about it in a business way instead of thinking about it in just a creative way. So that's kind of what I think informs a lot of what I do now is I see the world in that sort of like top level way, not just in the little detail of it. It's not precious. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Okay. So I have a question that's um, kind of the nitty gritty of this world. So if somebody wanted to start a company that, or start a brand that they have the idea, they know what they want, but they don't know anything about actual textiles or where to go to get them made, or do they need to have an actual pattern mm. like, yeah. created, or how, where do you start Gosh. with all that? You know, it, honestly, it depends on who you are. I think the the best people to do that, and if they don't really come from the industry, are people who are like, I mean, let's talk about people like Kim Kardashian, right? She's not a designer, but she can buy all the amazing things and she knows what she likes. Um, She can get all the people she needs to figure it all out and do it for her. So she's more like a creative director. And then what makes Mm -hmm. a brand under somebody like that powerful is she has the the audience, right? Um, If you're Mm -hmm. trying to just figure out how to make something and you don't really have the experience, my advice would be don't do it. Um, all of these things are (laughs) not creative. Yeah. Don't do it because it's insanely complex and there's just so much more that goes into it. 
Although I'd say being completely naive and believing in yourself is a great place to start and don't listen to anybody and yeah. do whatever you want to do and either figure it out or don't. But um, you're at a right. big disadvantage in many of these industries. Like I feel that way about the business I'm in now. I'm in the beauty industry, which I didn't really know anything about. Right. So I may be not as far along as I could be because it's taken me a while to figure out the industry. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's a, but I could have never gone back into fashion and built a brand because I knew too much about it. So being naive is a wonderful quality. And then at the same time, knowing that there's so much you have to know to do any of this, especially be a CEO. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you did that. Did you sell that company or dissolve it or what Um, happened? A little bit of both. We we merged it with another company and then that company caught it, kind of took it overseas, uh, into Hong Kong. And then, um, another theme in my life has always been partnerships. Uh, in many cases Mm -hmm. they don't work, they don't work forever. And so, you know, ultimately everybody goes on their way. And in this case, I had started a tech company, while I was doing that because I had the time and some bandwidth and some capital. And so when we parted ways, I was already pivoting to wanting to be in tech and was curious about that. And so my next step after fashion was to build a software company, which again, I had no idea what I was doing, didn't know anything about selling software, making software, but I thought I had a great idea. So I did it. And somebody had told me not to, I would have said, I'm not listening. And I didn't listen and I did it. So that's why I don't take anything I say to heart. <laughs> if you want to do it, do it. But just know <laughs> do it. you might not right. uh, learn what you thought you were going to learn, or it might not be the lesson you were looking for. <laughs> You'll learn something. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> what kind of software did you um build? Yeah. So, you know, in the fashion company, we were developing thousands of products every single year. And there was no software to manage all that information. So at the mm. time, the category didn't even exist, and we kind of framed it. It's called now product lifecycle management, and it's a huge industry, and I was one of the first people to introduce it to the fashion industry. Um, in other industries like automotive and aeronautics, they're dealing with all of this data for making a plane or making you know, a tractor or making a car, and they had to have systems for doing this because of all the complexity of the parts. But in fashion, it goes so fast, nobody ever did that. It was just like paper, um, fax machines, you know, emails. So we kind of built that idea and we were the first to market with the concept. And it was very, uh, it was 2000, right? So Y2K and kind of the beginning of this idea of being a tech entrepreneur And so I was very fortunate to kind of be on the tech side when it was really just starting to happen in the mainstream. Yeah. Interesting. And that, excuse me, fell under the umbrella of Zweave. Yeah. So we called it, yeah, Zweave, we called it. And so Zweave was a product lifecycle management software company. Um, And it, you know, I started it and then I brought on a co-founder and then that lasted about eight or nine years. And when I left, uh, my, my partner kept it and I left and walked away to do something else. So you have something else sprinkled in here that I find really, well, uh, 
I'll just say, what's a principal investigator, SBIR, United <laughs> yeah. States Navy? Know, right? cool. <laughs> so this is, this is how clever you have to be when you're an entrepreneur is, you know, where do you get your money from? And in the D-Wave right. days, because we were working around moving a lot of uh, data and files, and those files contained uh, technical drawings, patterns, um, all the things that you use to make garments, we actually identified um, projects that were government projects that were called small business innovation grants. And uh, you could um, submit a proposal to get one of these grants and you would basically be developing uh, intellectual property for the government. And so guess what? The government makes uniforms, which are basically clothes, and they were moving data around around all the patterns for these uniforms. And so we were able to get funding from these consecutive SBIR grants, and that's how we got our software company uh, funded. Instead of venture capital, we got eight consecutive grants, which was how we started to That's build amazing. our software. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I knew nothing about That's how amazing. to do that. My business partner was um, consulting IT background and we kind of fell on them and then we just kept getting them and it was a really amazing experience to learn how to do that. Yeah, <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, that's cool. That reminds me of one of my friends who was buying a house and and she found some loophole that she could get, I don't know, 25 grand or 50 grand or something if she worked for a city entity and the zoo happened to be on that. So she went and worked part time at the zoo and got fifty a $50,000 grant towards the house. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, like, totally. Right? Like, if, like that it pays to do your homework. Yeah, That's yeah. all I got to say, totally. right? <laughs> yeah, working for the government's really interesting because it's very structured and there's a lot of things around the accounting and the doing of the project. So what was really great about Z-Weave is I learned how to develop software and do project management. I learned how to write because in the fashion industry, let's say I mostly drew and mostly did a lot of um, communicating and sales and, and there's not really much marketing that we did. It was much more like um, very customized sales and product development and sourcing. And then in Z-Weave, I learned how to be a consultant and I learned how to write proposals, price things. I learned like what's the scope of work. I learned how to project manage. And then I learned um, how to, you know, tell software people how to build the thing I wanted. So requirements. So it was like a really interesting way to keep growing and learn a whole bunch of other skills. And it was much more, it required much more of a, the part of me that was analytical versus the creative. And it's why I say I'm right and left brain, because I've had the ability to nurture both of these parts of myself. They probably were always there, but it was a, a very heavy lifting thing to move into something that was that much more technical and business-like, right? But I loved it and mm -hmm. learned a lot. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay. So then fast forward, you, you were at you were still in product management at StyleSight, and then you were a practice leader at Parker Avery mm -hmm. Group, which is more of consulting. consulting yeah. Yeah. Retail consulting yeah. and implementing some of these systems that were the same kind of software that I had developed. So that was kind okay. of interesting because I was 
company selling software. And then later I got to be the consultant who implemented somebody else's software. And it was sort of like mm. a good way to see. And that the company I had, we, we competed with huge billion dollar companies. So it didn't ultimately make it, but I learned a lot about it. So it put me in the position that I could then help other companies implement that kind of software. So that was really yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's great. And then <clears throat> you went on to, um, a design agency. Yeah, I started a, this is what successful entrepreneurs <laughs> do is you, you continue to do consulting. Right. And so WYSIWYG, which is my sort of agency was how I was, um, in between things. And I started to use my skill set as a marketer and a web developer and branding and packaging and things that were again, more creative, but still now had the tech piece. So that was kind of like how it was all coming together. And uh, I would do those projects for small businesses. So, you know, it was a, an agency that helped people start their tech facing presence online. Mm. Okay. So, and now we're at Adora therapy. <laughs> so how did you come up with the idea of Adora therapy? What was your motive behind it? And cause it's a transition out of the consulting and out of the textiles and, um, like you said, you're in beauty. Yeah. And so tell us what, how the road led yeah, you to so, Adora um, therapy. An, uh, an opportunistic, synchronistic, uh, birthday party invite from friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And I met somebody who was creating uh, beautiful aromatherapy blends. I didn't know what aromatherapy was. I didn't use essential oils. Um, so the relationship began as a mentorship relationship where, again, I was helping with helping them understand what they were doing and how that could become a business. And uh, did some consulting and helped the business sort of go to the next level and then stepped out. Um, a few years later, that entrepreneur kind of moved to uh, where I lived. I had moved from New York City after 30 years and moved to Asheville, North Carolina. This was my first time kind of living in the South and different pace. And uh, I got reinvolved in the business. And that second time around, I was like, well, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get involved, it has to look a certain way. Let's do the real homework to figure out what's here. And I took a peek wow. at it and I said, there's something here. I think there's something about this convergence of beauty and wellness. It's just a very hard story to tell. And my brain kind of was like, let's, let's figure this out. And so I got pulled in. Uh, my partner left the business a few years into it. Um, there was a lot of things around the partnership, but also about the things we wanted to do and who we wanted to be. I very much wanted to figure out how to grow a brand, have a direct to consumer business. And I wanted to be in the consumer goods business and figure out after having been in services, most of the business I've done are services. I wanted to see what it was like to build a brand. So I stuck with it and that's what I'm doing now with the Dora therapy and where it had to fit in is the, the initial story of the why in this case didn't come at the beginning. It came after the partner left which is kind of interesting, which is why, what was it to me? And there was always something there, but I had to excavate it. So what it is to me is, you know, after being an entrepreneur all those years and having had lots of stress, um, obviously I had all kinds of things come up from issues with relationships to also issues with my health because I used my energy and myself as a tool. I didn't really understand a lot of things around um, my own capacity for 
uh, sort of healing. And so it became mm-hmm. a way for me to learn about healing and healing myself. So the business and why it's called Adora Therapy is because the, the idea is that when you remember to adore yourself, you can do the most massive healing. And that healing also comes from taking a deep breath and having the right intentions and mindset. And uh, essential oils and aromatherapy is a wonderful way to do that because it does smell great and it creates all kinds of ways to make the brain remember the new habit. So that's what the business is to me. It's like a way to be a life coach in a bottle and help people on their journey to (laughs) healing. Yeah. That's great. I noticed too that you dive into all the chakras. It looks like you can shop by scent, which is super cool. Um, big chakra fan and clearing oh, chakras. Great. And mood. I see mood. Yeah. And then um, there are do you do crystals? Do you sell we crystals? Sell, as we well? sell some crystals. So we're we're working on the human uh, energy field, and we combine essential oils and um, aura therapy and aura readings, and then anything that can help with the vibration, which looks like it could be crystals, it could just be meditation. Um, but we have right. a retail store in Asheville. We sell online. We sell wholesale. Um, we're a manufacturer, so uh, we make all our own products. And the idea behind everything we curate as part of our customer experience is it's supposed to help you breathe and heal yourself and feel better and create rituals of self-care. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I love that you know so, chakras. That's like, that never happens. How come you know chakras? <laughs> Oh, well, ironically, I need to do like a, my own series of podcasts because I was a founder of a startup and I got very, very sick from the stress of the startup and it did not go well. And there are reasons why I did, I learned, I did everything wrong. And so I learned all these lessons, which were invaluable, but also my personal life and I didn't love myself and like I discovered I went down this self-discovering pattern path of like trying to figure out why why me like what what am I doing why is this all happening like how did I get myself here blah 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 blah. so then I let on I led myself down this healing journey and you know went through the chakras did do meditation, I hypnosis, you name it. I do it like <laughs> energy healers, you yeah. like uh, journaling, like, uh, yeah, yes, I've done it all. In fact, I'm getting my Reiki certification, um, oh, this month. So yeah, I'm a total spiritual healer, natural healer junkie, shall we say? Yeah. Um, so I totally dig all this stuff. But I also find, I don't know if you've ever experienced this and we'll talk about, because I think you're hitting on a very big, a a big topic that I think is becoming more popular and definitely needed in like, whenever you go down this founder path, Mm -hmm. like, because you have to find grounding somewhere. Like, if you're not strong in who you are and just the amount of stress that it takes to like, uh, you've got to like, take care of yourself and love yourself. Right. And if you don't, then it can make you sick. Right. 
and I've spoken with several founders recently that have spoken, have been through burnout, have been through whatever. I just talked to a VC, um, firm investor and she makes, they make all of their founders do a two minute meditation the very first time, whenever they get on the call with their weekly call or whenever <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Right. That's great. Anyway. So we'll touch on the spiritual aspect of this, but I was going somewhere before that. Um, and I don't remember where I was going anyway, I guess we'll just touch on it now. So during your journey, is this something that you discovered after starting Adora Therapy and where did it lead you to um, yeah. from that aspect of things? Well, I think what you described was exactly my story. Um, I actually got so sick that I couldn't really work. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this show called Mystery Diagnosis, <laughs> but I was on the show so I had really? a I had a a thing that was because now I know what it was. But if you asked me then, I would just say I had an overactive gallbladder, so it affected um, my energy. And what happened is I couldn't control my bowels, so I really couldn't go out because I needed a bathroom when I needed it, and it was like really a life changing thing. And so, like you know, I started with other things, migraines and other things that were, and when I still didn't pay attention, then my body just was like, all right, we're just going to make it so that you can't even control your, your bowels. So anybody who has like Crohn's disease or has things like that, they would know what I'm talking about. So through all those explorations, I, I was diagnosed with, uh, with ulcerated colitis and yeah. Crohn's. So it, yes, yes. So I what, understand. Yeah. So what <laughs> it really is, and now that I am like an expert on chakras and on, uh, you know, more of that is I understand now that I use my solar plexus energy, which is the gut. And I use that fight or flight adrenal response as my superwoman cape. And it's very acidic. And on some people that might work, but on me, I'm more of a softer, creative, spiritual person. So I was basically like using a hammer to, you know, to put on a screw. Like I was doing it wrong. I wasn't respecting my um, universal truth about who I am energetically. And so what my body did is it just said, we're done and we're gonna make you figure this out. So through the healing process, I had a choice to go medical, which I did have to do, but then there was also like, what is this really? And so that's where the uncovering of all the other things were. And so I am open to all of those things, but I didn't grow up as open maybe as somebody who was praying and maybe they had other ways that they thought of spirituality. For me, it was sort of like spirituality was religion and I was not that person. So I had to really learn this through my own process. And my own process was um, integrative health and healers and other modalities that are a little woo-woo and a little weird because the medical stuff wasn't really doing it. It wasn't working. No, it right? wasn't working. So that yes. in introspection really brought all of this together. And then this, this business and this brand is really that story for me. It's how do I take what I've learned and share it with others. And like you said, so and I agree 100%, loving myself was part of it and understanding what that means. And I take it past the loving. I make it the adoring. Um, mm -hmm. Adoring yourself makes the loving more of a 
ritual. Um, and it's also adoration is different than love, right? Adoration has a whole other platform. So that's the level it has to be for it to really be healing. And then, um, if you ask me if I had any trauma, I would say, well, you know, my parents got divorced, this happened, that happened. And, you know, I had a few things happen to me along the way, but I would never identify with somebody who had trauma. And now I think what I understand is everything is trauma and trauma could be anything. And so I was never giving myself the ability to heal because I couldn't call it what it was. And so now I really understand where what trauma is. And trauma is really just held energy in the body. It's not mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter what it is. It's That's all it is. So it all starts with understanding the body and the chakras are great um, language and context for understanding energy that's held that isn't just physical. It's also emotional and it's also, I'll call it psycho-spiritual. So that's mm-hmm. the human. And if we can be humans that way, then we really have leverage on ourselves and we can start to uh, untangle things that seem like they're mental or psychological because there's this other piece that we're just doing automatically. Uh, you mentioned hypnosis. Hypnosis is incredible because I've been doing it as well. It helps with the unconscious layer because a lot of this mm-hmm. is still in the consciousness layer. And in the unconsciousness layer, there's a whole bunch of other great stuff to unpack in the healing. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then there's the light therapy and there, there, the list goes on, right? Yeah, Reiki, um, all the things like you described, yep. crystals, all of it, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Holistic yeah, holistic energy yeah. Uh, inner healing. I mean, energy healing, like all of it. I think yeah. I'll, I will try anything at this point, or like along the way I've, I've had to try. Um, yes. So I can understand and relate to your experience. Yeah. I think the trauma that you bring up, it's, I think if you can really get in tune with yourself, it's really knowing you're taking the time to really know your body and what triggers you as well as you can just feel like if you're in tune to your body, you can just feel when something is off Mm -hmm. or when you think a reaction that you're really not, you know, that's really not like you. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I think it gives you the ability to step back and assess the scenario versus like pre you just go, right. You just, continue to go and go and go versus um allowing the universe to let things happen yeah yeah there's lots of parts you know with the seven chakras some of them are in the physical some of them are in the spiritual and that's why you want to have them balanced right because you're doing a little bit of everything and then everybody has the ability to have all of them balanced if you if you want to when they become unbalanced it's telling you you're doing something that is not aligned so then working on how to bring the ones up that may be low or bring the ones that are too high back down um, it's a way of thinking of your body as languaging stress and anxiety but also other things And we don't really have language for it other than illness. So, you know, when you think of the beauty industry and you think of beauty as like the exterior makeup, hair, all of that, but the idea is it's supposed to make you feel better about yourself and that's great. Maybe it's, you know, helping your skin. And then you think of wellness, which is the other category, which might be vitamins and supplements and, 
you know, active sports, whatever, vitamin drinks, whatever, snacks, um, that's wellness. The piece that's missing is that spiritual piece in the middle. That's this other piece. So yeah. I say that I'm building a beauty brand. I could say I'm building a conscious beauty brand. Uh, but I think I'm doing something a little different, which is why it hasn't been so easy to explain. <laughs> you have to right, right. kind of do it's it. It's hard and to sell it potions in a bottle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we we were dialing into that, and we've actually got some great things that I'm excited about that are finally working. But when we were trying to right. do it that way, it was a long, uh, challenging, expensive. Uh, build. And now that we understand that in a way we're energy healers and we're telling people how to heal and we have tools for them and we're, you know, facilitating it and we can have these conversations and we can do it with a brand and in retail, it's really exciting because otherwise you're doing it in a room with a Reiki master who's telling you what's wrong with you, but you really aren't sure if it's real and mm -hmm. you can feel it. Maybe it feels good, but it's not really like it hasn't been built as a, a product or a service, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're working on, how to do yeah. this part. <laughs> I would think messaging would be a little um, challenging whenever for this type of yes. product. Yeah, messaging it and dialing it in. And uh, I'd say this year was great. I, I, I like to invest in myself as an entrepreneur. So every quarter I kind of sign up for something um, where I'm getting training and I'm learning because I'm still very much um, a bootstrapping entrepreneur. I like that. And I find that the squeezing of the lemon before handing it over to somebody else who can give me lemonade is where I figure a lot of things out. So um, I did a, a program where I was learning how to brand and we went through and I was able to take that lens and go back over what we were doing. And I really got very clear on our mission, our value, all the things that you kind of need to know. And the brand was already there and we were already selling things and we were already doing it. So to kind of stop and rethink it when it was already kind of midstream was very interesting. It did give me a whole new perspective on what I was doing. And then it allowed me to also do some things around the packaging and the way the store is set up. Um, so it all started to come together. So it's very much um, a process, right? There's no instant coffee version of building your business. Mm -hmm. And for me, the process is as important as the end result, which is, I don't know what the end result is. That's a good question I've been trying to figure out. Um, in the mainstream business world, you're supposed to build it, grow it, sell it. Um, I'm a little older, so I'm more like, I want to build it and play with it and have it and be in it. And it's not supposed to be that end result anymore. It's more like, this is where I am and what I'm Jeremy. doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's very different. And I'm, I, that's one thing that I've still been kind trying to grapple with. It's like the later stage entrepreneur versus the early stage entrepreneur is like, why do I do this and what's in it for me? And the question is very different than when you're starting out, I think. And maybe it's your mm -hmm. first time you're doing it. Do you find that that answer changes over time? It keeps changing. And I'm, you know, today I heard on TikTok 
this great interview. It was so random, but like, I also believe nothing's random. I, mm-hmm. I just did a hypnosis on abundance. And so I paying attention in the last two days, like what's coming in so that I'm just scrolling really quick. And there's this interview. It was Howard Stern and Jerry Seinfeld and Howard Stern's talking to Seinfeld. And you can look this TikTok up and he, and he's asking him like, you know, really when you're when you're with your family or when you're like just talking to me you're always trying to figure out what the joke is and you know Seinfeld's answer is like yeah does Tiger Woods like you know have to look at his clubs and figure out which club he's using no he 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 knows how to play golf so he's always doing that I'm a I'm a you know comedian I make jokes everything is a joke to me I'm just trying to figure out what the joke is and he was like it sounds exhausting you know it sounds terrible and he's like well, what else am I supposed to do? I'm really good at this. This is what I do. And I kind of feel like that. I feel like I'm really good at this. What else am I supposed to do? This is what I do. So now I'm just going to figure out how to be the best at my craft because it's what I do and it's my Mm -hmm. nature. So, but it's hard to justify this nature because it's kind of also like being a little bit insane. (laughs) (laughs) Very expensive. It's insane. It's selfish. It's, you know, awareness and unawareness. It's so it's a, it's interesting to just be like, I'm an animal and this is the kind of animal that I am. I'm called an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's just who right. I am. Right. So you said that you manufacture there too. Do you have a facility or, mm-hmm. and do yeah, you have behind, a team? That behind this whiteboard is a factory. <laughs> I need to do like that reveal in that show. <laughs> There it is, and there's the factory worker. That's that's how we do it. We hide it. That's awesome. Did you come up with your own um, recipes? No. So the partner that I had, that was their expertise. They were Uh, an aromatherapist, and they had really created beautiful blends. We still use some of those blends. We've changed some of them as well. Um, But that's not my expertise. Um, so from, for, you know, that was sort of the, where we started. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, we're very blessed that they're beautiful and people really love them and they do, I think, work really well, um, because they have, uh, frequency to them, essential oils, uh, if they're natural and a high grade, they have a vibration and that vibration is something that's very much absorbed in the energy field. Um, and so if you do that well, you get this massive impact. It's really like a massive healing. If you don't, then it's like it isn't anything. But the, the secret ingredient to everything is the person and what they're willing to do with their breath and their intention, because that's really the key to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how what do you think about retail versus online like you ha- you sell on your website but mm-hmm. do you have like a shopify like where yeah uh, amazon oh like i like it. i feel yeah. like it's a beast <laughs> it's a, it's yeah so the th- you know they always when i started we were a manufacturer and we sold to other retailers um and that was very challenging because they didn't really understand what it was and how to make it work so we did grow we grew to like 500 retail doors and we were in every one from like a canyon ranch to a whole foods right and we had a, a nice business but the problem with the business is it, like nobody really understood what the heck this was. Aromatherapy is often defined as more like a single note essential oil that you put in a diffuser, but we were making blends and blends are not quite perfume. They 
could be, but most aromatherapy blends, they all smell like lavender or lemon or mint. What was mm-hmm. unique about the blends that we have is they are like perfume. They have like a, a top, a bottom, and a base note. So they smell unique and they have like profiles like woodsy or floral or spicy, very much like fragrance, but they're not made with artificial ingredients. They're not made with alcohol. So, um, you know, there was like a perfumer story there, except it's never been an aromatherapy perfume story. So I've kind of created a category, at least I believe in my own entrepreneurial wacko mind I have, but I call it aroma perfume. And aroma perfume is this, you know, sort of bringing those two things together, the art of aromatherapy, the art of perfumery, and why it's valuable and why it's important in this moment is we all know with COVID what it was like to wear a mask and to not be able to take a breath, right? Um, we never really thought about our breath. We think about our skin and we think about our stomachs and we think about drinking water and we think about taking vitamins, but we're all willing to smell crap all the time. You know, I always say the perfume industry stinks because if you go in and smell perfume, you're basically breathing in chemicals. So the idea with perfume is you really don't want to breathe it in. You just want it on you and want other people to smell it, but you're doing something that's probably not what you should be doing if you're really thinking of how to clean up all the things in your life that aren't clean. So even clean perfume, as the industry talks about it, isn't really clean. It's just not as bad. It's maybe not dirty, but it's not super clean. So that's always been um, exciting to me. And then coming from the apparel industry, which is a terrible industry if you're trying to be green and conscious and environmental and da-da-da and no child labor and no, you know, all the bad things, you know, um, the, the beauty industry has bad things too. So we're just trying to be in a footprint that is really clean, really small. Uh, everything's handmade. Everything is vibrational. Everything is made with, a, you know, sustainable ingredients. Um, and the scale of it is is right size. So getting back to your question, yes, we have uh, online. It's small. It's very hard to build the online piece and be DTC. And I'm glad that we missed that curve because now DTC is completely out of favor. If if you look in the press, you know, the DTC is a challenge because of all the challenges with the cost of advertising and acquiring customers. Um, Retail is back, except it's considered to be expensive and harder to do. And you can't really do it if you have a small product line. We happen to have a big product line. So for us, it was a natural extension of what we were doing. Um, and and wholesale is changing too. So like for a beauty brand, you want to be at Ulta or Sephora. I do not. I don't really feel like that's where our brand could live. I mean, it could, but they would have to really create like a whole new shelf called Aroma Perfume and they don't have that right now. So I think we really are looking at for ourselves what the right path is. And for me, I'm old school. This idea of going back to retail is really exciting. And so that's what I'm seeing for us is a, a retail first strategy. Interesting. I love it. I feel like if you're if you know your brand and know where you fit in to the scope, I, I've spoken with a few founders now that have a sustainable brand, shall we say, and they are not like yourself are not striving to be in the top retailers or 
the biggest and the best and the greatest, their strategy is starting small. One girl in particular, she was starting at like, um, markets uh yeah like little uh markets and fairs and yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. she was starting at markets and like the little stores boutiques and mm -hmm. then go building from there instead of trying to go after the big elephant and i think you really have to know your brand which you yeah. obviously know your brand and um i don't have you tried etsy does it, I, i've We're, heard mixed reviews yeah, about no, etsy yeah so etsy is kind of like amazon to me it's um it's really interesting. These big platforms, they all have some benefit, but the cost is also really challenging and they've all changed. So Etsy used to be handcrafted and now 90% of the stuff on there is made in China or Taiwan and it's not. Yeah. And so, and they also take a lot of money away from you and the idea is you could be found. Um, so not, not fond of those models anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I That's think- That's too bad because I thought yeah. Etsy was like, yeah, I mean, Etsy. Obviously, I haven't been on there in a while. Yeah, yeah. Cause... If you go on there, it's it's changed a lot. And then Amazon's the same thing. You could have a very big Amazon business, but Amazon owns your customer. You don't know who they are. You're not getting their shipping info or their, their info. Yeah, and so like, how do you build a business where you don't own your customer? So the website is still great if you can acquire the email and you know have a direct relationship. It's still way better. The thing is, how do you get somebody to find your website, which right. has turned all of us into marketers and myself included, and to you know, in social media, you know, monsters. And so like the amount of energy that goes into building your business and doing the business part versus the amount that has to go into all these marketing things that are all social media focused is inc incredible. And it doesn't matter if you're a retailer or if you're it's uh, exhausting. B2B. It's exhausting and you have to do it and it requires tons of money and talent and expertise and, and time, the amount yeah. of time. And oh. so, yeah, so it, that's really the challenge I think for anybody today that's Shopify, Kerching. I love that. It's like if you have a Shopify store, they train you with the Kerching. I don't know if you heard it on my phone, mm -mm. but every time you get oh, yeah. an order, it goes Kerching and you're like, okay, I sold something. It's amazing. Pavlov's dog. Yay. They wanted the stuff I make. Um, but yeah, it's just incredible the amount of energy that goes into that. I happen to love the creative parts of it, but it is a full-time job to just figure out like photography and graphics and copy. Huh. And you know what, huh. if AI really does come into play and I can just shove it all into like a, a robot and it figures it all out, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I will say there are some AI software platforms out there that are extremely helpful with marketing and social media and like that kind of thing. But I also feel like, the prep work and the things that you're talking about, at least I find myself sitting down to do some of those things and like half a day, the whole day's gone. And I look down to see what I accomplished and not much, right? Because yeah, I get yeah. lost in all of this creative. Yeah. It sounds fun, but uh, from a yeah. business perspective, it just consumes so yeah. much time so much i think that's the thing i think i learned like if you were say 
you know, every year I learn something. So like last year and during COVID, I got to spend time learning DTC. So I was able to spend a lot more time on the website and learning e-commerce and the tech stack and all the apps, conversion optimization, customer acquisition, like all this stuff that you have to know when you're an e-commerce brand. Um, and then the, the common denominator is you still need all that marketing to get anybody there. So then like I started learning that, you know, I was like, I have an Instagram account with 300 people. That's not going to work, but I didn't care when I sold wholesale. So I literally learned how to do Instagram and now we're at 13,000. I could be at 20,000 maybe if I paid people to like my stuff that was fake, but you know, we've grown it organically, but I learned how to do that and how to grow 10,000 followers. Right. And um, talk to them and figure out what to put up there. And then now I'm like, somebody else does that. So it's just um, an incredible journey of adding all these new skill sets and being a CEO today. I think that's really the challenge is um, there's no real playbook. Everybody's learning how to do this stuff. So really it's more of like, what are your skill sets as a human being? And are you good at getting stuff done? And are you good at bossing people around? And are you good at understanding money and attracting right. abundance? All the other stuff is there's just so much technical knowledge you need to do these things. Now, the good news is compared to 10 years ago, it's cheaper, but you need to do 20 more things now. So right. it's not really right. cheaper. Right. <laughs> I think also you have to be as a CEO or founder, you really have to know when to delegate and when not to like i find myself i don't know anything about it like yourself i'm going to jump in and i'm going to learn but at the end of the day i have to make the decision am i going to spend 20 hours doing this i know what i like the gist of it and the outline of it or can i have somebody do it knock it out in 30 minutes to an hour that knows what they're doing is it worth my time how much money am i saving for yeah, yeah. like the long term so totally. i've that's a big lesson i've learned in the past year of like this is great for me to learn but yeah i'll take the time to learn initially but ultimately execute quickly through someone else, that's going yeah. to cause me just headache after headache. After totally. Headache. I think you learn. And also everybody comes with different skill sets, right? So I think, right. that, you know, anything that you can do, I like to think of it like consulting, right? This person makes $100 an hour. This person makes 25 an hour. This person makes $500 an hour or whatever. And then it's like, who's going to do that job? And you never want to give a $25 an hour thing to a $500 an hour person. Now, if you did, you might solve it differently and depending on what it is. But until you start doing everything and figuring out what it is, you're going to make some mistakes and you'll either pay with time or you'll pay with money or you'll pay with, you know, mistakes that you then have to fix. But all it is really is moving those decisions around and then figuring out how to get it all done. And there's like a list that right. never ends, um, right. which is and part, it's of, part the, of the uh, journey yeah. too, yeah. right? It and is. it's part of the learning lesson. I feel Absolutely. like, you know, if we all had it immediately, then there wouldn't be a journey. Like yeah. there wouldn't be a purpose in that. 
and yeah, the lessons ab- we're supposed to learn. Absolutely. A big shift happened. We Our store is in a really cool historic building. It's an arcade. And so there's other retailers oh, there. And some of these retailers have been there for 10 or 12 years. And they all have employees. And a lot of them are families or couples or, you know, somebody who has a clothing store, somebody who has a furniture store, somebody who has a cosmetic store. And they all come to work every day. And they're there six or seven days a week because it's retail. And you see them and it's like a, a little consortium of little shopkeepers, right? And what you say to yourself is they couldn't keep doing it if it didn't make money because they're obviously able to pay to keep doing it and it must work right. up to a point. You go into um, the online and you look at all the businesses and all the wonderful women's marketplaces that now exist for helping women raise money and do this and startups and pitching and da, da, da. And none of those businesses are built on a model where you're paying yourself or you're making money or you're using your own money or like you're supposed to be like a mainstream business. They're all built on the idea that you're going to get money to do your idea and then prove it out, prove it out. And somebody's got to foot the bill. Very, very different. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the challenge is I don't think it's that easy for women to get money. And I don't think it's easy to get money in the stages they tell you you can get it. Some of it's luck. Some of it's who you know. Some of it is maybe you do have a great idea. But I think we need to go back to those fundamental um, types of businesses where business has to be kind of profitable and grow up and that's really, it's a different, it's a different animal. You know, it's like, we're not all there to build a, a, you know, a billion dollar, you know, unicorn that's, but everything is designed after that model. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just been really challenging, um, for myself and maybe as you see it to figure out what the real story is here about how do we do this and why we do it when we don't fit into that story of like the unicorn business and right the overnight success story. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to go raise millions and I'm going to sell it for millions. And it's like, no, you got to start with, do I have a product anybody wants to buy? Right. Right. (laughs) Have you, have you tried to get funding or do you have an interest in getting funding? You know, I did at the beginning and then I've been self-funding and we've had a few people come in along the way and it's just been, um, it's been challenging because I feel like the business has had ups and downs and nobody wants to hear about those ups and downs if they're an investor. So it just seemed like the best path was to continue to self-fund. So it's a little bit like having oxygen and not always being able to put the oxygen mask on because there's never enough money. Um, So you have to become very clever and you have to figure out what, how to bootstrap. And like you said, make all these decisions, but in the end, um, maybe you have a different experience of entrepreneurship when you kind of are footing the bill than when somebody else is paying for your mistakes. I've had businesses, you know, in the Z-Weave business, we raised a couple million dollars and then we had, you know, a dozen investors and it's hard when it doesn't succeed. You, you look at those people and you say, I'm sorry, (laughs) you believed in me and it didn't work. And there's a lot of businesses that just don't succeed even after tens of millions of dollars of funding. So, Um, I think this point in my life, I'm working for a different reason than the exit. So I'd like to, if I can, not have to raise any capital. And if that means it's small but profitable, I think I can live with that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can we help you? (laughs) <laughs> what, can, what can we do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm scouting different um, locations for another store and I've been looking at uh, Brooklyn and New York. So if you see anything that you think would fit what we're doing, let me know. Uh-huh. 
Awesome. You know okay. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look at, uh, check out the website. See if you want to discover a new way to perfume or to heal uh, using our beautiful chakra scents. Um, they smell great, but they'll also help you with dialing into all the moods and feelings you desire so that you can adore yourself. So, yeah, go check it out. Um, yeah. I didn't so you, give you a discount code, but if you want later when you post this, I can give you a code for the audience. If they want to buy something with a code, sure. you can do that. If you want, that's up to you. We yeah. are happy to include that if you'd like. Yeah, for sure. I would love that. And then, yeah, if you're in Asheville, come by because in Asheville, we do aura readings, which is something that we, Ooh, we don't fun. do online, but our aura readings are incredible and super fun. And you'll get to know exactly what you need to do. Uh, what's going on with your chakras, and you'll learn more about yourself. If you if you can't, there's a quiz on the website that can kind of help you identify the first chakra you might want to work on. So you can also take the quiz. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Okay, so the website is the best yeah. resource for everyone to go to to purchase. Yeah, or any- TikTok, Instagram. Uh, <laughs> we're on LinkedIn. Okay. We're on. Um, Twitter and Pinterest. So whatever your platform of preference, just look for Adora therapy and hopefully we'll have created some content that will inspire you and then go find us. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, and is there anything else that you need like from a business perspective or, um, yeah, actually, uh, we have a series, we call it people we adore and I'm always interested in meeting, uh, other women entrepreneurs or other entrepreneurs who have a story to tell and they're looking for a platform. We use our, it's not a podcast, it's more like a blog. And then we also do an Instagram live typically. And it's a way for us to share our audience with other people. It's mm-hmm. fun because you become uh, like an ambassador influencer because we send you products that you want to try. We can do it with you, Brooke, and reciprocate. And so, yeah, we want you to try the products. We want to know what chakras you're working on. We want to know what you're up to in life. And we want to know how you adore yourself. And then we want to share that story with our audience across all of our platforms so that you can be an inspiration. And if it helps you with building your audience, we'd love that rub-off effect. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. I am so excited for you. And it sounds like... You're doing this with a purpose. Like I can just sense it and you're doing it for the right reasons, right? Like you. I like to say we're perfume with purpose, but yeah, I feel like I'm I definitely my purpose in this point in my life is to really um love what I'm doing and do it in a way that's going to be part of my healing and I can finally have success, but the success isn't at the expense of all the other aspects of myself. So right. yeah, you can, you can help me by helping me continue to be on that journey, whatever yeah. that looks like. Love it. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I'm so grateful that you love what you do and I can feel it. Aww, so that's thank awesome. You. Thank you. Uh, and I'm so excited and thankful that you joined me today and took time out of your day uh, to tell your story. And we will include all of the links to your socials and your website and all the fun stuff in the podcast and in our newsletter and on our website. We'll, I think we already have your products featured on our website. So it's just another um, place where people can go if you want to check that out. It's a link that takes you to their website. So if there's anything else that you need, I'll be thinking of 
um, people reach out to some folks in Brooklyn and New York to see if they have any recommendations for spots. And awesome. uh, yeah, and I would be happy to share some of your content and um, anyone you. that's interested in becoming an ambassador or uh, being part of the People We Adore campaigns and blogs, we'd be happy to. Yes, yeah, just reach way. out. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brooke. I hope you, we'll send you an invite and hopefully you'll join us and then we yeah. can share some products and good luck with your Reiki training. And you'll see these products are like having Reiki in a bottle. So awesome. I'm <laughs> excited. I can't wait to try them. I don't know on. which one to try first. I guess we I have better a kit take with them. all of them. Maybe we'll send you a kit. Then you don't have to pick. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Laura. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Brooke. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, subscribe to our channel, The Wild Feather. If you want to learn more about our guests or their products and companies, you can visit our website at thewildfeatherpodcast.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter to receive info on our upcoming episodes. Follow us on social media to get the latest deets. We're on all of them, so pick your favorite and follow us. And if you're a founder and need funding or accelerator info or business resources, you can go to our website, thewildfeatherpodcast.com and find some valuable information and resources there. No matter if you're a founder, your investor, or what your path is, just remember you were born with wings. <laughs> <laughs>